Welcome to another edition of the Roll Bama Roll podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. Our guest this week is an SEC Network studio anchor. He's a national radio host for ESPN Radio and co-host of SEC This Morning on Sirius XM Radio. He's Peter Burns. Peter, thanks for joining us during a, a somber week in Alabama. I was going to say, listen, you, you guys know, man, I, I'm, I'm married to a, uh, an Alabama fan. So, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a rough week in, in, in our household, uh, to say the least. It was, it was so funny. My, my wife and I, we put together this media room upstairs where I do my radio show in the morning. And so, you know, we put some money into it. It was, like, real nice. I was like, all right, well, we'll break it in for the national championship game. Can't wait. So we've got all the different screens on. We're watching the different feeds. And at halftime, she looks at me and she goes, I'm never watching a game in this room again <laughs> after the way the first half turned out. And sure enough, we went downstairs to watch it. And the second half wasn't a whole lot, wasn't a whole lot better, guys. Yeah, the, the game played out in an unexpected way. And with that comes the opinions of everyone. So a popular one being mm-hmm. that, that this game signified the beginning of the end for Nick Saban's dynasty at Alabama. Is that an absurd notion or is there actually something to that thought? It wasn't absurd. It was absolutely bonkers uh, uh, that people go into there. I mean, listen, you know, I mean, when this happens to Urban Meyer for one time, you know, at Iowa, or it happened again to him to Purdue, I mean, the thing is, is that we just have never seen this happen to Nick Saban, right? Like, we just have never seen this happen. He hadn't lost like that since 2006 uh, with the Dolphins, and, and Alabama hadn't lost like this as a program since 2004. So, you know, the fact of, hey, once, you know, once a decade, you're allowed a really bad game against a really good opponent, it's fine. Now, had they lost 59-0 to zero or something like that, then, yeah, you know, got players fighting on the sidelines, the guys, 40 guys would have transferred the next day out. Yeah, I think there's some issues. But um, that overall number one recruiting class and the way Alabama runs this program, I think, I think they'll be okay. Hey, Peter, Brad Canning here. Thanks for coming back on. And yeah, I've kind of felt like I I was iffy if I wanted to play the taps all week as like the theme song for the week, but (laughs) I think we'll be okay. So looking back, you know, the Alabama Clemson matchup has become a staple in the playoffs playing each other each of the last four years. So the in-conference threats to Alabama have become obvious starting with Georgia, but does the ACC have anybody that can emerge as a threat to keep Clemson out of the playoffs every year? Yeah, that's a great question, right? I mean, you know, I, I kind of joked around on Twitter this year about, you know, I, I used to post this little picture of this lady kind of lollygagging and dancing and waltzing through the flower bed because I'm like, this is what Clemson's run to the ACC is going to be like this year. You know, Miami was bad. Florida State was bad. I mean, you know, Syracuse had a good little run. So did North Carolina State. But, the, you know, they weren't powerhouses. And, Again, I, I don't see anybody really taking the mantle and doing that. And that's nothing, and that's not Clemson's fault, right? I mean, remember a couple of years ago, uh, I think it was like 2016, the SEC didn't have a team outside of Alabama who didn't have more than less than, what, four losses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could argue that a couple of years ago, Alabama had the same exact thing. So, yeah, I mean, there's no reason to think that Clemson by far has a better chance of getting to the college football playoff um, next year than Alabama because I think Georgia is going to be extremely good. I think Florida is going to be better. Um, you know, even LSU uh, has a great recruiting class and they're solid as well too. Etchebo Fisher at A and M, Auburn. Who the hell knows what happens with Gus Malzahn <laughs> when his back's up against the wall? So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a bevy of riches in many different ways that Dabo Sweeney has with Clemson being the ACC. Uh, Alabama had six assistants leave for other jobs last season. It looks like they could match or pass that number again this year. Nick Saban's always kind of excelled through the assistant hiring process, but at, at what point does this take a toll on the Alabama program? 
Well, you saw it Monday, right? I mean, I, I think that when you look at Alabama's roster and Clemson's roster, guys, I mean, y'all, y'all absolutely see it. There wasn't that much difference. You know, it wasn't like Clemson's players were that much better than Alabama's players. I mean, I think I think the talent level was mostly the same. So if the talent level's the same, what what was different? Uh, and Bama got a couple bad breaks, but I think that it was the the coaching or at least the game planning. And that's what happens when you got Brent Venables and Tony Elliott and guys at Clemson who have been there several years together. You know, for for Alabama basketball, or Alabama football, it kind of feels like what Kentucky basketball is when it comes to coaching. That you get a guy in here for a year, he does really good, but that can't quite get it to the next level. And I feel like that was this year. And again, six assistants leaving again is is kind of a similar situation. And I almost wonder if maybe. It is one of those deals where, and I've talked to Brent Venables. He loves staying at Clemson because he he has fun. He makes a lot of money, uh, and they do really well. Well, you know, maybe is that the next change we see in Saban? Is that it's not a change on the field, but off the field, and and how hard and demanding he are he is on his assistants? I don't know. I mean, maybe that's the next big change that we see from Nick Saban. But I, I think at the end of the day. It's hard for Nick, you know, to change, right? I mean, it's hard for a leopard to change its spots. And I don't know if Nick had ever kind of all of a sudden do the Dabo, all shucks, kind of, hey, let's have fun. That's just not his pedigree. Well, last one for you, Peter, and it's kind of a broad question. But when you look back on this 2018 season, whether it's Alabama, the SEC, or nationally, what moment stands out for you? And, and how would you describe this season? What's your takeaway of it? I mean, the one moment that stands out is that the hug between Tua and Jalen at the SEC championship game and, you know, the brotherhood that they have, how much Jalen sacrificed, how much Tua, you know, worked with him. And I thought that was fantastic. You know, Danny knows did a good job of getting those guys prepared all season long and their relationship was strong. And uh, I'll be a Jalen Hurts and a fan all my life because of the way he handled himself. And listen, what happened on Monday night while it's 44-16, it was a drubbing really doesn't change what I thought about this Alabama team. I thought they were fun as hell to watch. I thought that, you know, while they did have flaws, they changed the way we watch college football. And so, you know, one game is not going to uh, change any dynasty talk or change that Nick Saban's the greatest of all time. It just means that Clemson found themselves uh, in a heavyweight bout one night and uh, they knocked down the champ. And uh, guess what? More than likely, we're going to see another uh, heavyweight battle before with, with these two guys coming down the road. All right, he's Peter Burns of the SEC Network. Peter, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, buddy. Boys, anytime. Hey, real quick, I got one question for you guys. Yeah. What What would have been worse, losing last second on a last second play, like second and twenty six, or losing forty four to sixteen? Mm. Oh, I tweeted about it numerous times. I, I, it feels so much better to get your ass handed to you than losing <laughs> at the last moment. <laughs> uh, it is less stressful because I started accepting defeat on the first, third, and fourteen conversion. So it was great in a sense of I don't hurt as bad now as I do after you know last or fluke play losses. Yeah, when they went up three possessions, that's when I knew it was over. Like that, that game just felt different yeah. than the ones in the past where they. You yeah, know, I felt like I knew they were going to at least make a run and put themselves in position to win or come back. That one was over when they went up three possessions. So it was just accepting so weird. It. Two things: yeah. one, yeah, when when Saban didn't take the timeouts right before half, I thought that was crazy. Like I just thought, wow, I I, I didn't think I would see this right. Um, and the other thing too is even his mannerisms on the sideline. We've seen him upset before. He never really got upset. It was more like he was resigned that he knew that he was in for a battle and they just they were going to beat him in certain spots, and they were. 
And I, I found that really, really intriguing of watching that game when I go back and watch it. But, um, again, all I know is I guarantee you that night and the next morning, Nick Saban had a bunch of notes of how it can get better. And um, I, I got a feeling there, though, I'm not going to cry too many tears for Alabama football. I think they'll be in pretty good shape <laughs> next this year, boys. Yeah, I don't think anybody's feeling too bad for us. So. Right. Uh, all right, Peter Burns of the SEC Network. Peter, seriously, man, thank you for taking your time out. We appreciate it. Thanks, boys. Happy New Year. All right. Happy New Year, man. All right, Brad. Monday night, not ideal. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) not ideal. Well, I mean, like I said to Peter, you know, I kind of started accepting it after, uh, what, not even midway through the first quarter. They got that first third and 14 uh, conversion. Yeah. And I said, all right, if they get one or two more long third and Kirby-esque throwbacks, then, yeah, we're going to lose this game. And sure enough, they absolutely dominated this game on third down. I mean, it, it is unreal, the conversions they had throughout. And like I told Peter, too, I, I honestly, this loss, as shocking as it was, I didn't hurt as bad as any of the other 10 or 11 losses this decade, really. Yeah, it was easier to accept, I think, because I, because I accepted it <laughs> during the game. Yeah. About, about the third happen? third quarter, yeah. yeah. <laughs> realistically, at least, you know, not the whole. Oh, yep, they score. Oh, Miss, they scored first. We're losing, you know. But realistically, I don't. It's been a long time since you've sat in an Alabama game and go, "Damn, we may really lose this game." Yeah. And I guess uh, the, one of the craziest things to me about it was when you look not only internally within the fan base, mm-hmm. but you look nationally. The feeling going into this game was, you know, this is Alabama's game to lose. You know, they they're even teams for the most part. You have a quarterback who's a freshman, a great freshman talent, not a, a mobile-type Kyler Murray quarterback they saw a week before. You know, Alabama was happy throughout the week in press conferences and everything. I don't think anybody really legitimately could make a case and believe they were making that case for Clemson to win. And I damn sure know nobody would have thought that we were getting such a serving a humble pie the way we did. Is this some kind of indication to you that Alabama's dynasty is slipping, or, or is that an overreaction by some of the media? Well, you know, everyone in today's world lives in the moment. Honestly, the whole thing now is everyone wants to be the first to declaring something. It's why accounts like Old Take Exposed, you know, our friend Fred, he exists. So you really, I don't think you can say something's over until it begins to end because it's hard to truly start signaling in the moment something's ending unless it's blatantly obvious. And I don't think there's anything blatantly obvious going on in Tuscaloosa that tells me this is the end. Now, it is a little concerning, yes, mainly because it's just like a culmination of bad things. But I I don't see anything to where he's losing the locker room, where he's losing his coaching ability. It's going to end up being the greatest recruiting class ever in terms of point total coming in in a month. So I don't think it is. And if anything, it's just like when he lost to Clemson the first time. It's only going to motivate him more to finish his career strong. He's not getting any younger. He knows that. But these, to me, these coaching hires he's going to make, these are going to be really pivotal because how realistically, how much longer do we expect him to be there? And, you know, you look at the wide receiver that kicked our ass and kicked Notre Dame's ass, Justin Ross, the true freshman from the state of Alabama. One of the biggest reasons why he spurned Alabama to go to Clemson last year was because the continuity within the staff, the long term, how the staff has stayed together. That was one thing that drew him there. It's hurt them in a sense, but Saban's always made it work. Can he continue that trend now? That's what's going to be curious. Yeah, is there potential to look back and say, hey, that was the moment where it started to fade? Yes, sure. 
But for anyone to definitively say at this point that, hey, the dynasty is, is done or it's crumbled, I think that's a, that's a little premature. There's more evidence pointing towards Nick Saban continuing this run opposed to it slowing down. One being who they return on offense next year, which is almost yeah. everybody. They're going to have at least one talented NFL caliber player on every level of the defense next year as well. Does Alabama have more roadblocks to get through to make it back to the playoffs than, say, Clemson does next year? Sure. But if they aren't favored to win the national championship, they'll have the second best odds, and they will 100% be in position to win another national championship next year. And to me, you brought up Justin Ross. If there was ever a point where I would have questioned what's to come in the future at Alabama, it wasn't after one game. It would have been after National Signing Day last February. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fourteen and one with an SEC championship, Orange Bowl win, and national championship appearance does not make me ask what's wrong. But a recruiting class that was five or six spots lower than what we're accustomed to, which is a, probably a bigger difference than people may think, that did make me ask some questions. And Nick Saban responded with, like you said, what might be his best class ever on paper for this cycle, which is literally projecting the future. And has mm-hmm. been, it's been a pretty accurate tool for projecting the future of football programs. So it's hard for me to say Nick Saban's dynasty's done when he'll be in position to make the playoffs again next season. And he's bringing in a class of 29 guys, probably, <laughs> one of which isn't a four-star or higher. And that's the top kicker in the country. Like I said, after this early signing period, this class is probably going to have guys ranked in the top 100 who are in the bottom half of the class. And I'm not sure that that's ever happened. Yeah, well, the main thing about that class last year concerned me as well was it wasn't just the ranking. It was who we lost out on and, you know, how we lost out on players. And it didn't really hurt us in the long term. Next year's team, though, coming up, we're returning damn near everybody on offense. The defense is going to be more experienced. Uh, I think this was more of one of those growing pain years. The defensive coordinator position may be up in the air, especially a couple assistant positions within that. So we'll see what happens there over the next few days. However, I think this team next year has the potential to be just as talented and just as uh, complete of a team, if not even better in some areas, than this past year's. And honestly, I think the offense could be even better. So there's a lot to look forward to. But at the same time, this is going to be a loss that'll be up there with that, you know, infamous kick six that never happened to me because it's just hard to find the words of it. Yes, it don't hurt. But at the same time, it's like, damn, (laughs) they came and took it to us. But look, I mean, all, all the statistics, we won every phase of that game with the exception of. The penalties, we got our ass killed because we played sloppy and dumb at times. But the, the, field goal, the field goal call, that is what it is. And then also Clemson killed us on third down. And I mean, absolutely killed us. They converted when it mattered in the red zone. Hell of a job by Brent Venables because we, when we got to the red zone, we couldn't do nothing. And God help us if Enos next year calls back-to-back, you know, little shovel pass option runs uh, in yeah. the goal line. Yeah. So... Or our DC calling a stun on the one yard line. So Look, while we're while we're still on the Alabama Clemson subject, I know this has been beaten to death, but I just want to get your sort of knee jerk reaction to this. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. You've been iffy in the past about the prospect of Dabo coaching at Alabama in the future. Yep. You're not the only one. He's now mm-hmm. two and two against Nick Saban in the playoffs. He's an elite recruiter. Are you still on the fence about the idea of Dabo and Crimson? Well, it was never because I was against it or on the fence about it because of his ability to coach. Yeah. Hell no. I mean, Dabo's overtaking that, you know, Urban Meyer role eight years ago. You know, now it's Saban and Dabo. It, it's the culture. It's the the way to get to that success that I don't like with him. Yeah. It works. 
absolutely works. But at the same time, I just it's not something I envision that works in Tuscaloosa when you follow up the guy that you're continuing to either beat or lose to and be compared to. Honestly, now that he won another one and you look at the future of the ACC in the next three to four years, why would he leave in five or six years from now, assuming he can even win another one in that time frame? So I honestly, I think the reality of it's probably going out the door. Always will be a chance. I'll never say it couldn't happen, but that's why I just, I was against it. I mean, are you more now for it now or what? Look, I get why people have not warmed up to it yet. He's as opposite of Nick Saban as you can be. Uh, but I don't think that's a bad thing. So he makes me cringe some. He's goofy, obviously. But there's there's more way than, more than one way to run a program. And Dabo has proven that his way works, like you said. I also think that trying to replicate Nick Saban is probably going to be a slippery slope. There's only one of him. So I, I know a lot of people would disagree with me. But at this point, the only person who should have any reserves about Dabo coming to Alabama is Dabo. Uh, yeah. He has less reason to leave where he's at by the minute. He'd go from legend at Clemson, lifetime job, to a guy that needs to maintain what Nick Saban has built at Alabama. And I don't know, if I was him, I don't, I don't think I would take that on. No. When that time comes, they can put whoever it is in this uh, scenario not being Dabo. Yeah. Let us lose a few games, uh, and then I'll be all for it. That's probably how it's going to go. <laughs> so, What moment stands out to you throughout the entirety of this season? I mean, I, I don't want to keep mimicking Peter, but like we talked about after the Georgia game, I mean, just that drive for Jalen and everything it stood for on the field and off and, you know, what's going on now with him entering the transfer portal, that that's the moment of 2018. They could have won 44-16 to 16 on Monday night. It, it's still, that would have been how I remember this team. So, yeah, Jalen Hurts leading a comeback in the SEC championship game. Not only is that also my favorite moment of the season, but it's probably one of my favorite sports moments of all time. Uh, I agree. Yeah, we know Jalen has entered the NCAA transfer portal. He does still have the option to come back, but other schools are free to contact him. He's followed Miami coach Manny Diaz and several uh, Miami players on Twitter, so that's an option we know. Jalen has a fan in us forever, just like Peter said. We, we are going to support him wherever he goes. Is there anywhere specific, Brad, that you'd maybe love to see Jalen play? Uh, two places. Uh, the first one is Houston. Uh, just because I would love to see him and Dana Holgerson hook up uh, with what Dana did, you know, with Will Greer, because Will Greer was not that way at Florida. A lot of people forget that. Now, granted, that was probably the PEDs, too. But that's a great matchup. It gets him right there back uh, to where he grew up at. But the other one is you talk about who he's followed on Twitter. He also followed uh, Mike Leach on Twitter, uh, and Washington State's football program followed him back. So I think that would just be interesting as hell, but he doesn't fit that offense. But, no, I think Houston – is one of the uh, top two obvious ones. I don't get the Miami thing somewhat. Uh, I know West Virginia is a name that's been thrown out there. He has been accepted into Alabama's uh, graduate school program, so that option is there, too, to continue his education if he stayed. I don't know, though. I, I would have to say Houston, to me, would make the most sense. Uh, I'm going with Oklahoma. Established program, established offense. Lincoln Riley has by far the best incoming wide receiver class in the nation. Two five-star receivers signed, number one and number three overall wide receiver recruits in the country. Jalen would demolish Big 12 defenses. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think that would be for his success within a system that could work for him. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, something that gets lost with recruits is that coaches show you who they are through time. Uh, Lincoln Riley has now shown that he puts his quarterbacks in a position to succeed, and if Oklahoma is an option for him, 
I'd love to see him there opposed to somewhere like Miami for for a rebuilding project. Uh, selfishly, I do not want to see him at Auburn or Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, no, he goes to, to Auburn. The Iron Bowl and the Georgia game are Ugh. in Auburn this year, so that is just like the perfect script of an Auburn-type year there. Ugh. Here's my thing with Jalen, uh, and I know for the most part our fan base has supported him, and even more so as the season has progressed. But, for instance, I used to kind of say this about Tim Tebow. I remember during the height of Tim, Tim Tebow, some people despised him. I think a lot of that had to do with the amount of coverage he, re- he received, which really wasn't on him. He kind of told everyone who he was. He showed everyone who he was. And by all accounts, he was everything that he made himself out to be. So I, I always felt like, personally, if you had a problem with Tim Tebow, that was a you problem, not a Tim Tebow problem. And for me, mm-hmm. Jalen has kind of entered that realm as well. Were some people critical of him last season? Yeah. Were some critical of him, you know, after his dad said a couple of things? Yeah. Some were critical after he said he hadn't really talked to the staff about the quarterback competition. But in the end, Jalen never did anything that warranted really any backlash. He made the decision to stay when it might have been easier to leave. And when he was called on, he helped Alabama win a conference championship. So at this point in this in his career, if you have a problem with Jalen Hurts, and there's not many that left that do, I, I acknowledge that, but that's a you problem, not a Jalen problem. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be tough to watch him play for somebody else. I know it's a tongue-in-cheek thing to say, but I've never meant it for any other player in any sport. But I sincerely wish him the best, and I will be rooting for him. Moving on, off-season headlines. What do you think is going to be the big off-season story for Alabama? Ooh, for Alabama, it's going to come down to uh, what's going to transpire the next few days, next week or so. And that's going to be the coordinators and the assistants and, you know, yada, yada. These roles that are publicly already open uh, and some that will be coming out into the public that are going to need to be uh, replaced with uh, new faces, possibly even some we haven't seen in a while. And also transfers or guys leaving or staying. We're going to know on Friday. I, I think that with the uh, the media, you know, you've got to generate some type of storyline in the offseason. you got, what, 233 days from right now until Duke got some dead air. We'll see if uh, people try to keep that story uh, permeating of is Clemson now that new king? Is Alabama on the decline? And I also wonder if there's going to be any tweaks to any officiating or recruiting rules. Uh, that'll be interesting to follow. What about you? Uh, I, I just want to know, can Alabama's defense get back to its former self? Well, we'd have to get Jeremy Pruitt back. (laughs) And and, uh, I'm very curious to see how much the incoming freshman class, with all of the hype surrounding it, how much will they contribute? Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of of space for uh, some guys to compete, for sure. There is. I think we uh, may see a couple of them on the defensive line. uh, Absolutely. I I think there's no more open area for uh, competition than that D-line. Yeah, nationally, one thing that that I'm going to be very interested in is we know Justin Fields uh, transferred to Ohio Ohio State. (laughs) Tate Martell, before the announcement, uh, Ohio State quarterback Tate Martell had a lot to say on Twitter before Justin Fields announced his transfer. And now all of a sudden, Tate Martell is in the transfer portal. It seems as if he's upset about about, uh, getting a little competition in Columbus. If, if... Justin Fields does not get his waiver to become immediately eligible. That leaves Ohio State with two quarterbacks, none of whom would have started this year initially. 
Yeah, the only thing I could think of is they uh, they must feel pretty good that you know he's going to get his hardship waiver approved. But my God, is that just not the epitome of uh, some Twitter fingers? And then uh, when life comes at you fast, you tuck tail and run. <laughs> yeah. you, you, um, you hate to see it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just a guy who goes out and gets pedicures anyways, based <laughs> on that Netflix show. So it's all good. But all right, well, this has been the Roll Bama Roll podcast. Roll Todd. <laughs>